0: Everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of our podcast, Roadside Rumors. I'm Kowal, and I'm Sanika. And today we're here with two very special guests.
1: I'm Vidya Shrestha, and I'm a year two student studying at the University of Hong Kong. And I'm Lamia. I'm a final year student in HKU studying American Studies and Criminology.
0: And where you guys are from?
1: So I was born and raised here in Hong Kong, but eth- ethnically I'm Nepalese. Yeah, so same. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, but I'm Bangladeshi.
2: Okay, so today we're here to talk about ethnic minority rights in Hong Kong. So do you guys want to start off with your experience as an ethnic minority growing up in Hong Kong?
1: So I was um, brought up here in Hong Kong, and I've studied in a local school my entire life. And um, so being brought up in a local school, um, majority of the students, majority of my classmates were Chinese, and they were about... I don't know, 10 non-Chinese per batch. And as I grew older, it got less and less and less. So I think there was this kind of cultural barrier between us and them. There was always this barrier there. It was um, non-Chinese students versus the Chinese. So yeah, Mm -hmm. there was was always this cultural barrier. And I feel that uh, we always had our own group. And I think we didn't have much of like cohesion between us between each other, and to make things worse, like, the worst thing is that, um, the Chinese classes that were being taught to us were different from them as well. We had to be separated to have our own, like, Chinese second language classes, which didn't really let us learn Chinese from the same start, from the same level, Yeah, yeah and we absolutely. were taught the same thing about the really basic thing that a kindergarten student would learn for, like, the next six years, so it was a complete waste I would say but then the chinese students got the opportunity to actually learn and you know learn more than us and i think that we didn't have the same starting and that was a, a big disadvantage for us
0: but did you want to learn like more chinese like did you want to learn
1: chinese by yourself i think my parents did put a lot of pressure cuz i had like private chinese classes so my dad was like you need to know chinese you're going to stay here and work here and i did know chinese a lot better before But then I was introduced to French in primary four, then my focus shifted to, like, French, so I forgot everything from Chinese. And then when I got to form one, I was taught Mandarin. So, like, all this, like, transitions kind of really, like, made me forget a lot of the stuff that I was actually learning. Because my Chinese was so much better when I was, like, younger. And I think, like,
0: the thing with Hong Kong is, like, they kind of, like, half-ass their classes, I yeah, feel like, for, for ethnic minorities, because I have a very similar situation to yours, so I grew up in an internationally, mm-hmm. like, school, like, yeah. for primary, but then when I went to high school, it was a local high school, mm-hmm. and in the whole school, there was, I was literally the only Indian, and there was one more Pakistani girl, and there was a mixed, like, Malaysian mm-hmm. Hong Kong girl, and being, like, the only Indian in the beginning, I was just, like what is this? Like, you know, and the teachers were like, oh, she literally can't handle these Chinese classes. So they were like, you're exempted from all Chinese, Chinese history and law classes. So I had the time of my life in year one, like if, uh, like in uh, form one, like no, no need to attend these Chinese classes. But when I got to year two, they were like, oh, she has to take DSCs and how is she going to do it? So they made these like extra classes for us. But like in the beginning, I just felt like they just wanted to have something there so it doesn't look like they're not doing anything for yeah. us. So they had these like classes that were really like, really half-assed, like, you know, they just teach us some words and vocabulary that literally, like, I've learned, like, before in primary, so I think it's a very, like, common situation in, like, mm-hmm. local schools. What about your experience, Lamia?
3: So, um, I would say, um, so I, I'm from, since kindergarten to secondary, I was in a school that has more ethnic minorities. So I was pretty much sheltered my entire life. Uh, I, I thought, you know, in that small bubble that I was the majority. Mm. Uh, it was only until I came to universities that, you know, the bubble popped. Um, and I started realizing I was more aware of how people were reacting to me. For example, if I'm sitting in in um, in the MTR, is anybody <laughs> sitting next to me? I mean, there was one woman who literally just like, she, uh, I, don't, she I don't know, she just like, held her nose and then like I stink or something and I was like oh that's weird and then uh, just a lot of minor uh, aggressive behaviors that were happening and I I was like oh my god like I'm facing this I never faced this and and I, I didn't know what to say am I supposed to say something about it or like I was I, I was in a, I was in shock. And and then I also like growing up, right, uh, being Bangladeshi, which is like a minority of the minority uh, in the ethnic minority community, although that's a term that not many people would like to use. But anyways, <laughs> so uh, I, I was like, I didn't know much about my culture and stuff like that. So I was in this state of limbo. So I, I know I was born and raised in Hong Kong, but I was confused because like, I'm Bangladeshi yeah. and how am I supposed to juggle all that? And then all these aggressive things were happening like, you know, minor racism and all that. But what really struck a chord was um, when I um, realized how important Cantonese was because I was applying for jobs and I wasn't getting any callbacks. And Mm -hmm. and I remember I applied for this teaching job and the woman, she heard my voice and she she was like, oh, you know, your English sounds good. It's okay. You you got the job. But when I came here, she saw me and then she's like, I'm sorry, we we can't we can't take you. So then I was like, were they
0: expecting like a white friend? Yeah, they
3: so they want a native English speaker, yeah. whatever that means. So uh, yeah, and then I was like, it's not just me, but I'm sure other people are facing a, a lot of these things so uh, it also had to do with nobody was voicing out these things and even if they were there wasn't like much awareness and I do believe that young people they do have a platform especially given a place like HKU you know you have like for example you guys you have this podcast Um, there are different organizations in in HKU and even outside the HQ space the the NGO space also gives a platform so I was like we should all seriously voice out some of the things that are happening like raise awareness are people aware that this this is what we're experiencing. This is how a minority... What This is what the life of a minority feels like in Hong Kong. So yeah, that led to me advocating for the ethnic minorities in
2: general have, um any of you all any bitya and Kawell, have you had the teaching thing as an experience because that definitely happened to me and it was like a close friend as well because the same issue so um with my qualifications or whatever i was like um i'm an english tutor like i've tutored kids before and can i tutor i i was applying for a job and my friend used to have that job she is a white girl who was raised in hong kong and she was like no i'm sorry but the parents just prefer like a white person to teach it. and i was like Okay, but okay. And then I just waited to see who actually got the job. And it was also another one of my friends with, like, a significantly l- a lower, significantly lower qualifications. And I was like, that's just, that's just unfair. It's yeah. just, you know, and that's when I first realized
0: it. Do you think, like, people have this misconception, like, ethnic minorities just refers to, like, brown skinned people? Because if you think about it, like, Americans are also yes. the minority. country. Like, yeah. this is what... Like, this is what I realized, like, because mm-hmm. the people, when I first heard the word ethnic minority, I was just like, okay, like, whatever, like, you know, like, yeah. it, it's a fact, it's a fact, like, I'm an ethnic minority, I'm an ethnic minority, mm-hmm. but then later when I, when I kept hearing it, like, you're an EM, like, ethnic minority, yeah. and I was just like, what are you guys saying? Like, if you think about it, like, white people are the ethnic minority in Hong Kong, yeah. you know, like, yeah. why are and you like... Really they making... the expats.
3: And, then and call why are they yeah. called expats, and yeah, and yeah. actually, expats. that's, that's my issue with the term ethnic minority, because the thing is, even within us minorities, we are so diverse. Yeah. You know, we're all so different. But the into us, yeah by labeling us you're having this form of generalization and another thing is even within the ethnic minority communities we're not looking at the other segments like the refugees and asylum seekers yeah. the domestic helpers like yeah so that's what that's what gets mixed or gets overlooked because of this term
0: but so i think that's something we should tackle like why does this happen you know like like, like you mentioned there's such a diverse group of people but well, mm-hmm. why do we get grouped into like yeah. the same well in the government color. statistics they
3: do include the so-called expats as count oh. them as minorities but then it's honestly how the word is being used and like the media yeah. especially yeah. right So basically yeah. the political correctness yeah. of the word yeah in yeah. a yeah. way yeah
2: yeah i never actually heard the term ethnic minority before i came to hku before you really? introduced it to me yeah i really didn't but okay i think that's also comes from a sense of privilege because um, in my school it was predominantly like a white school so or um, Hong Kong students that go to international schools so even though I was the only Indian person there no one really used that term and then once you look at hong kong from a wider lens and look at all the different communities that coexist and then you start to realize that this is what people refer to each other as and then you realize that that's yeah, the reality yeah.
3: so i think there's we should start using a better term like uh, i usually whenever i uh, you know talk like Introduce myself I I usually use the term Hong Kong Bangladeshi and I think Vidya yes, yeah, would be would using
1: Hong Kong Bangladeshi Yeah so we, I
0: also say I'm a Hong Kong born yeah, Indian yeah. Like I like I really didn't have a problem with this term until people made it into a der- derogatory term like I don't yeah. understand why there's a negative like you know connotation, connotation to attached it. to it mm. Yeah but um to- like since we're on the topic of like you know identity and stuff how how would you guys um uh define your identities Like, you know, like, living in Hong Kong, would you consider yourself, like, a Hong Konger, or would you say you're a Hong Kong-born Bangladeshi Mm -hmm. slash Nepalese? Like, how would you...
1: I kind of, like, don't really like the idea of, like, identifying myself to, like, a race in particular, because my parents came from India, and my grandparents came from Nepal, and then they moved to Hong Kong, and I was born here. So it's, like, really complicated, but generally, I just identify myself as, like, a woman of color, Mm -hmm. you know, a woman who was born and raised here in Hong Kong, and this is my home, you know, this yeah. is my reality. So that's what I would identify myself as, and it has kind of shaped my personality in that sense as well, as a woman of color, and some of the experiences that I faced as a woman of color growing up in Hong Kong, and whenever I go back, and all of these mixed experiences have kind of made me more aware of some of the experiences of women of color in terms of racism, or colorism, all of these things. Gender. Or gender, yeah. yeah. What about
2: Bamya?
1: um
3: i feel like um as much as i i was born and raised here but then i do have that you know my upbringing uh my parents did emphasize on my bangladeshi roots as well so i but then the thing is you know often people get confused mm-hmm. for me i'm very sure about my identity in a way that yeah i'm a woman but i am also a hong kong bangladeshi given that i was because I've been given a lot of opportunities by Hong Kong that I don't take for granted. Mm. And that's why I feel like, given the opportunities that presented itself, I have the duty to give back. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, I, I I mean, I'm not sure if uh, other people would accept me, but then I do identify
2: as a Hong Konger at least. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, I think my situation is a little different, because I came to Hong Kong later in life. Even though I still think I am a Hong Kong person, but then the fact that I wasn't born here, I guess that is a little bit of a clear shift than you guys because you're all born here. But um, I still think that identifying yourself as a Hong Kong person is difficult in the sense that no matter where you say it in Hong Kong, people will give you that second look of like, yeah. Oh, yeah. But where, where are you, you actually, actually from? from? Yeah.
0: And I'm like, oh,
3: I don't
2: know.
0: <laughs> I feel like for my case, it's like a little better in a sense because I do speak Cantonese. Yeah, so, yeah. But for my situation, it's more like I get confused because I was born and raised in Hong Kong all my life, right? Mm-hmm. Similar to you guys. But... Like, so I was, growing up, I was very, like, attached to local culture. So I kind of, like, even though I did speak, like, Punjabi back at home, but, like, at home, like, you know, I would go to, like, the temple with my mom just because, like, she tells me. But I never really had that strong attachment to, like, my own culture. But I was more, like, you know, with my local friends, like, eating Chinese food, like, speaking Cantonese, studying in a Chinese, like, Chinese environment. So it was, everything was, like, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. So when I go back to India, like, I'm just, like, Like I can't even read the language properly, so my like so it's kind of like, am I like an Indian or like? But when I come back here, like they don't really. like, do people accept me as a Hong Konger? Mm-hmm. So, I think a lot of us, like, go through, like, a similar, like, yeah. identity crisis where, like, where am I actually from, right? But
3: then, my, my like, I actually really relate to the language part, you know? Because yeah. language does form a part yeah, of your identity. Does. Like, even for me, I, like, I'm, I'm able to speak Bangla, but I'm not able to read or write. Yeah. And in Hong Kong, I'm able to speak Cantonese, but my fluency in reading and writing is... It's bad. Yeah. So, it, then, I mean, it really begins. Like, I start getting all these questions like, oh, what, like, like, where am do I? Because I, in Bangladesh, they call me the Chinese girl because, like, I was born China. and raised in Hong Kong and here, they're like, oh, the brown girl. Yeah, yeah, like, even
0: when I went back into India, I felt like a tourist in my own yeah. like, home. Exactly. I'm just like, yeah. I don't know these locations. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, you just feel like, you know, like, am I from Hong Kong? I'm but maybe, from Kong.
3: maybe it's okay to be in that limbo yeah. as long as you're able to create your own narrative. That's, mm. I think that's fine.
2: But I think it's, a little comforting to have something that you can identify Mm -hmm. with because I feel like throughout growing up because I went to an international school all my life and because of the media and the way the image of so-called ethnic minorities is perpetuated Mm -hmm. I feel like I because I didn't grow up within that community I had this thing of where I would subconsciously try to probably distance myself from it and then once I came to uni and then met more people like you guys mm-hmm. I was like okay maybe that's a part of my identity that I should embrace and I feel like we should encourage like younger people to do that absolutely yeah. because that is probably the part of our identity that needs to be voiced out and needs to be heard more than and, and
3: that's where we come into the question of representation, you know, yeah. like even growing up, uh, you know, I didn't see any brown faces in the, in the media, you know, exactly. and, and like for, for me, like I've always wanted to be a lawyer ever since I was a kid, but then I would always see, you know, uh, Chinese people, or like white people dominating that sphere mm-hmm. and men. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, And, and, and then, I mean, up until I got into university, you know, like Ms. Pooja Kapai. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, From
0: in the law faculty, yeah, like so. She, I really wish I haven't, I haven't had the chance to like hear her in person, but I've heard a lot about her.
3: So, like you know, getting her, uh, she actually played a very big role model in my life. And then I started to see, like, tell myself, if she can do it, I can do it. And as if we get idols like these, that will like create a ripple effect.
0: Um, But what about like Hong Kong? Do you think it's as cultural as it presents itself to be, like as a city?
1: I mean, As it's diverse. definitely multicultural. It's definitely diverse, but but like, not I mean that there's like inclusion, right? I so, mean, what do you think about the
0: inclusion in Hong Kong?
1: There's definitely a lack of inclusion in terms of like how they might not be culturally sensitive. They might not. They might know that oh yeah, we're from a different culture, but they might not really know what our culture is about or what our, our beliefs are and you know understand that there is a certain like language barrier issue that we're facing because a lot of like Chinese people like I grew up with Chinese local students in my school and like they were very ignorant I would say about some of the experiences or hardship that we would have because they would just be like oh how do you not know Chinese like you were born here like that's the instant reaction you get and I think like that's something really important for them to actually understand like that's the first step like acknowledge that we do have an advantage, disadvantage here, you know, like, we do have that and and advantage. And if you think about it,
0: Chinese is, like, our third language, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know like, it's English a is a universal language. language, like, yeah. we use it in class, but with Chinese, like, I had to learn it from scratch in Form 1, yeah. like, that was, it was really difficult, like, yeah. you know, we literally don't understand, and especially since Chinese is one of the, the hardest lang- yeah. languages to master, like, it was so hard to, like, learn it from scratch, like, when everyone is, like, so ahead of you,
2: <laughs> yeah, it is,
0: like, difficult. Do you think this is because, like, you know, Hong Kong gets missed uh like uh the mass media, the way the mass media portrays like ethnic minorities, do you think this is part of the reason why people misunderstand how like
3: I, I mean, people- I think the mass media perpetuates the stereotypes for sure, but it has to go back to the fact that. You know, Hong Kong doesn't have something called cultural sensitivity classes per se. You know, like people here are so in their own box, in their own bubble. They're not like really exposed to other cultures. You know, they might have uh, uh, like an ethnic minority in the class, but are they really interacting? That's not enough. You know, we need we need cultural sensitivity classes, something to train them. And another thing, if you see in the legal stance again, like in the polit- like political legal field. Uh, you will see there are 70 legislators right is there like Early. within the 70 legislators or the 1200 you know civil servants there how many of them are brown we don't have any representation we have little to no representation and they're making policies about us without us so how do you how do you so you might claim that there's inclusivity There is no representation. Who is representing us? And then it comes to the fact, again, like I said, you know, cultural sensitivity, education, a lot of that can actually rectify what the media has sort of, you know, done with the bad image and everything.
2: So, both of you, coming to the public policy part, both of you spoke at Lechco. And do you guys want to talk about your experience there and what you guys were talking about? So,
3: the first time I, I did the Legico hearing, I think I was 18. And I was extremely nervous. And, and I've been to the Legico I think, three times now, three or four times. So, the first time I, I did my piece was on a police... Um, brutality and you know how we're getting these random id checks and i got
0: a lot of backlash for that (laughs) Um, what happened uh so like uh i got a lot of
3: backlash in the sense that you know people were not really agreeing with what i was saying you know and that's only that's only normal because what happened was i i had to uh be like, I had to sort of like train myself to be more politically correct, more inclusive, making sure that I'm not just talking from a perspective of a student because that comes into the play, you know? Like, when you think about these, you put yourself into that, right? Um, and then I spoke about my personal experience coming from an ethnic minority school, not being able to fluently capture the Cantonese language, and then being discriminated in the workplace because, like, uh, one time, one of my students called me a panmoy, which is like a derogatory oh. term used for um, Filipino, domestic Filipin- yeah, Filipino domestic helpers. L- literally comes in the class and he's like, "What is a panmoy doing teaching us English?"
0: Oh, I saw your video. And- yeah, okay, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So th- that really like broke my heart. But anyways, yeah. So. Uh, and then I think the third time we spoke about Alibidi uh, and I, we did one together. Yeah. Uh, for education the for education. it was about education, but I focused on like, uh, people who are you know in poverty because one fifth of the ethnic minority population is in poverty, and when they get into legal troubles, usually the government has discriminated them or the police has discriminated them. They have no way to seek recourse. So and, and our so-called race discrimination ordinance protects no one protects not even the local Chinese people here. Because, again, government powers and functions are sort of exempted from that. Mm -hmm. So that was, this is what I was, so one of my major obstacles in Legiku is how do I make my story or our story, everyone's story? So I feel like that's when, um, when you're advocating for something, that's when it hits hard and something more productive and fruitful is achieved. What about you, Vidya?
1: So, I did it two times so far. So, the first time I spoke about the education, I talked about my experience in a local school and how there is, like, a segregation within the education system, which puts us at this disadvantage. So, I, t- I spoke about my experiences and how there should be the same equal starting for both Chinese and non-Chinese for them to actually learn, like, the language. Because if you start from, like, kindergarten standard, it would be way easier to, like, catch up and actually learn but that's not how it actually works here. So that's the first time I spoke about it. And this, uh, the second time, which was recent, it was about the racial discrimination ordinance. Um, so I got a, quite a few backlash on that because there were there were um, people saying that, oh, why are you bringing up old stories, old new stories with me? There was a Nepalese man that I mentioned, which was a case back in 2009 or 10. Ten years ago, and there was another case with Arjun Singh. I think like it's really important to have a system that supports these ethnic minorities here first. You know, at least have that system, because even if people are racist or culturally ignorant, but at least you should acknowledge that there is like some kind of bias that goes on within the people, and people of power in particular should acknowledge that and be aware that you know you can't be that way. You know, you are a person of power, and you should use that power wisely. I think the like the institution itself should support them through this RDO, right?
3: And you know what's really ridiculous is that you know we had the ICERD, the International uh, Elimination of Racial Discrimination, forgot the full term anyways. So the people from the UN came to Hong Kong and, and they did this whole take, uh, you know, whole review of Hong Kong and we didn't do good. And they, they gave us a list of suggestions. But the question is how many of it how many of the suggestions is the government following mm-hmm. and it's all related to race they see the dire circumstances that we're in but i don't think there's anything coming about but do you think that.
0: there's something that the government can do that they, haven't well, they have well first of all there's a lot of <laughs> first of all
3: well first of all fix the race discrimination ordinance i think everybody should be held accountable even the government mm-hmm. and if you are You know, I mean, I get it. The government is scared of the influx of litigation, but come on, man, we gotta, we have, I mean, if you are talking about a fair and just society, everybody should be held accountable for their actions. So that's the first step. And then the second step would be education. And uh-huh. the segregation that is going on in, in the classes. There are literally uh, classes where ethnic minorities are in one
1: class. Yeah, and yeah. That was my situation. Yeah. That, that should not happen. Like for every class, is it? Yeah. They're segregated. It's like, every class? Not every class. Oh, okay. Not every so class. So we have, like, everything else is the same. Yeah, okay. Just but when Chinese. it comes to Chinese. Yeah. But, but I think it's different for me. Were you in a Chinese school? Yeah. I was in a local That's school. The thing. Yeah. I was... Like, it's an English medium school. Mine was an EMI school. So did they oh, speak in It was English? a bad one, EMI school, yeah. No. That's, that's,
0: uh, that's my question. Like, do you think that they should start earlier? Yeah, like, in primary? I would I'll I'll start understand. from
1: kindergarten. Not even primary. Yeah, like, kindergarten. kindergarten. Like, have the same starting. Yeah. yeah. So it would be, like, easier. Because everyone is a blank sheet yeah. of paper. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. My yeah. parents were, like, brought up in Kolkata, And, like, they can speak the local language. They can read and write. Like, how is it possible? They were also, like, what, an ethnic minority in terms of Hong Kong, right? They're, like, Nepalese people living there but they can speak the language they're so like integrated with the culture there yeah. so it's really shocking that
0: i you don't can't know. do it being yeah like when i local. go
1: back to india they're like how do you not know chinese mm-hmm. you're born there you know so it's really shocking when you compare that you know mm-hmm. so yeah, then you... there is oh, sorry there is um
3: the you know like for education. example the education system which is cultural sensitivity classes you know making everyone mingle with each other and another thing is learning progressive cantonese i was in the same school same trajectory right supposedly it goes up but then my cantonese was stuck i was literally learning basic cantonese for like, like all the for, for my
0: entire thing yeah, yeah that's what they do so i feel so, like i mean i wish to Alice like, could do Koduri. so that school is like a I can't name it. I not that. okay so my primary school was yeah my primary school was um yeah, cut that out. The, like <laughs> so uh so my primary but the majority of students in my primary school were from ethnic minority backgrounds but in that school they all six years they literally taught us like mama papa basi, Dude, yeah. all <laughs> six <laughs> years and yeah. I'm
3: just like form six at form sorry form three or form four I was like also in six you done
0: awesome <laughs> with tea salt. What is going on? I was like, am I really learning this? I think. Did you realize this back then, or do you think about so it now? And you're like, the, oh, the okay. thing is, no, I
3: knew I was learning, like. I was like, oh, this is a get- getting a bit too repetitive. But then my teacher was like, but this is going to get you to university, right? And then whereas my parents, on the other hand, seeing my scores, like I was like 95, yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing below a 90, right, for my Cantonese. My parents are like, my daughter is fluent in Cantonese. She's going to make it. It's when, I mean, and then, you know, you come here. And then yeah. you're like, you're like you, you don't know, you know. Lost, yeah. same
0: the same goes for those exams like you know the gce and gcs yeah. exams like it's so easy to score like an a in yeah. those exams and yeah. when you come out to society you're just like how much of this is actually useful you know <laughs> like how much of this like stuff i learned in gcse can i actually apply in my daily we life we need to be
3: fluent in Cantonese that is used in the workplace communication yeah exactly and
0: sometimes i feel like school environments like the curriculum they just they just want to have something for I think minorities like I said like to fill in the gap like they don't want to just leave us there right so they give us like something to do and they give us this these like exams which is in a way like Mm -hmm. at least there's something but is that something really helping you know it's
3: I don't know like but to be fair there are opportunities other opportunities like Vidya was saying how she got connected to her roots even like we have other societies that celebrate even diversity among us brown people like you know um SAS. So yeah, I mean, I think those sort of create a platform. But of course, yeah, we should tackle the issue of how we should be represented in halls as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something you guys could work on. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so that's about it for our podcast. Um, is there anything else you guys would like to add or you would like to say to the viewers or anything? listeners?
1: Oh, sorry. Listen. <laughs> I feel like the my, you sweet. know. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. So, um, I founded this organization called Amakokuseli. So that means mother's token of love. So this organization focuses on the experiences of women of color in Hong Kong and outside of Hong Kong. And for our first project, we will be doing a service project in Nepal, which focuses on the practice of telepathy, Which is a practice that uh, banishes women who are menstruating into cow sheds, and there are a lot of death cases every single year because of snake bites or hypothermia, because they're isolated, and I think this is a very oppressive tradition that goes on in rural regions of Nepal, and this is what we will be um, focusing on, and we will be having a launch event, which is also a fundraising event, on the 15th May.
0: So make sure you all go there,
1: yeah, especially out. if you're <laughs> a local Hong Kong person, yeah. woman, I mean,
0: of, so color, like, of, woman color. of color, man of color, Chinese it's person, everyone, everyone,
3: everyone's, right? yeah. Yeah. everyone's invited. Yep. And I wanted to actually encourage uh, the listeners. Um, I actually had we from the uh, Resolve Foundation actually created seven audio visuals to give, uh, to raise awareness and give people an insight into uh, the lives of ethnic minorities. So you have ethnic minorities in different, from all walks of life come in and talk to people. So you can find it. um, I'll I'll, I'll send you the link if you could show it to them, or you could just go to Resolve Foundation, uh, resolve foundation's facebook and all the seven videos are there if you are interested and want to know what more can be done contact me lamia
0: (laughs) find me and we shall do something about it together yeah Yeah. so thank you so much for being here with us today and i think we had a really good conversation
2: yeah thank you